Welcome back to another episode of Wade's World, and today I'm going to be taking a look and ranking at all 30 NBA teams' duos. Now, the NBA has become a very dynamic duo league, and I've seen a lot of lists just ranking top five, whatever it may be. So I decided I wanted to rank all 30 teams. Well, yeah, there are teams that don't have a dynamic duo. Basically, I'm just going to rank the two best players from each team in the league. Um, And the kind of criteria I'm going to use is just solely for the 2019-2020 season. So teams like the Nets, whose dynamic duo would be Kyrie and KD, with KD missing all of 2020, they're going to be lower. I'm not going to replace it with someone like DeAndre Jordan or Spencer Dinwiddie. I'm going to rank it basically just solely on Kyrie. And then teams like the Warriors, who dynamic duo would be Steph and Clay, since Clay's going to miss half the season, they're going to be back a little bit further. And also things that teams these duos have accomplished in the past does not matter. I will be taking into consideration the chemistry. So for some duos, like a Steph and Clay, you know how well they play together, but the fact that they're three-time champions doesn't really come into play. So I just wanted to kind of lay my criteria out, first of all. So there's there's going to be a lot of spots I'm sure you guys will disagree with, but I'm also using a much different criteria than I've seen any of the guys on like ESPN or uh, Fox Sports, any of those analysts. I've seen a lot of lists, and I mean, a lot of them are good, but this is just going to be mine. And before I get into that, I just wanted to say here in about a week or two, I'm going to bring back Just Listen, which was the podcast I had previously. And basically the format of that now, it's just it's still going to be Wade's World. Just Listen will just be Wade's World with a guest, basically. And that guest will be Tristan Kissick. I had him on a couple episodes before uh, for Just Listen. And we're going to talk about, I think, about four different topics probably. And I think we'll split each one up into about like 30-minute segments because those of you who used to listen to Just Listen know that my episodes were very long. And I still want to be able to talk about a lot of topics. And to get a guest, you almost need a longer episode. Um, Otherwise, it's kind of pointless. But I will break them up into their own individual episodes so that if you are only interested in one particular portion of our conversation, you can easily access it. All right, now let's get into the list. So starting out at the 30th spot, last place, it's the Charlotte Hornets. And for their dynamic duo, I listed Cody Zeller and Terry Rozier. Rozier obviously just getting to the team uh, not only are the, they the worst duo in my book, I think they're the worst team in the NBA by far next year. And Cody Zeller's an okay okay big man, I guess. He's, he's decent in the pick and roll. And Terry Rozier, I think, is a spotty star, starter who just got paid a lot of money. So I, I really don't see it going all that well. Next, I have the New York Knicks in the 29th spot. I really don't know who their dynamic duo is is which is why they are so low i'm not saying that they don't have some talent like julius randall 
and R.J. Barrett is who I have as their dynamic duo. And they have some nice pieces like Bobby Portis and other role players like Taj Gibson. But I didn't really know who to consider for the duo. So I just went with what I thought is the two most talented and promising players. Because for the most part, we know a lot about who the other players are. They're, they're not still developing, mostly. Um, in the 28th spot, we have Cleveland. And for this, I have Kevin Love and Colin Sexton. And there were a couple of question marks I had on here when adding these two. One is that Kevin Love is likely going to be traded near the deadline to a contender. It's a lot of rumors I've been seeing about him. So I... Don't imagine that he's there for most of the year, so that automatically bumps them lower. And for two, they, they weren't going to be that good of a team anyway, although Kevin Love is an all-star caliber player still, and I think has a good shot at making the all-star game. But with the Cavs drafting Darius Garland, how does that take away from Colin Sexton? Is he even going to be the starter we don't know. Are they going to start them both? There's just a lot of question marks. So I, ha- I had to mark them down to 28th. And then in 27th, we had the Memphis Grizzlies. And for their dynamic duo, I have John Morant and Jonas Valanciunas. Um, part of the reason they're 27th is I think Jonas is... He's a he's, he's an average big guy. Um, he does some things well. He's, he's not going to wow you in any way, but he's not a liability. And then we have a rookie, John Morant. So the fact that he's a rookie, I think his game's somewhat similar to Trey Young in college anyway in terms of his high playmaking and assist numbers combined with his high turnovers. So he's going to have a lot to learn. It's a young team. Um, Like I said, this isn't a team-based list, but it's no coincidence that the four worst teams in terms of Dynamic duos are also four of the worst teams in the NBA. At the 26th spot, we have the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I have their dynamic duo currently as Steven Adams and Chris Paul. And the reason they're 26th is that I don't really expect them to play much, if at all. Talent-wise, they are two very talented players, so I couldn't put them last on the chance that they do play because there is there are problems with trading Chris Paul's contract. And who knows how long Steven Adams will still be there. But the fact that I don't expect either of them to make it an entire year together, it it's I could I couldn't justify putting them any higher. At the twenty fifth spot we have the Washington Wizards. Now this backcourt of John Wall and Bradley Beal, arguably one of the best backcourts in the league. I would say when healthy, probably the third best backcourt in the league behind Stephen Clay and CJ and Dame. But Wall has the torn Achilles. He, he is probably out for the year, but I think, I think he ruptured it in February of last year, and it's usually a year to recover. So at the earliest, February would be his return. I don't see that happening. And then if if I was confident that Bradley Beal would be on the team the entire year, he would be – he himself as a duo would be higher than this. 
But there's all the rumors about him possibly being traded, especially to the Miami Heat. So they're coming in at the 25th spot. At the 24th spot, we have the New Orleans Pelicans. And for their dynamic duo, I put Drew Holiday and Zion Williamson. Now, there are a bunch of questions around Zion Williamson and what his position is going to be in the NBA. And I'm sure that'll take a little bit of adjusting. It might be halfway through the season or even longer before he finds what his true position is. Is he an undersized center, an undersized power forward? Is he a non-perimeter-based small forward? There's just a lot of questions. And also, I haven't heard it much lately, especially with David Griffin saying that Drew Holiday could have an MVP caliber season. But earlier in the offseason, when Anthony Davis was traded, it was reported that Drew Holiday could also be traded. So that that's another reason that they're kind of bumped back, just because there's the questions about what Zion's going to be, and there's just going to be some mechanics they have to work out to make everything fit. And then also the fact that Drew Holiday could be traded, though it's not looking that likely anymore. At the 23rd spot, I have my Chicago Bulls. Um, I wanted to put them a little higher on the list. I just couldn't do it. Um, Obviously, the duo I have for them is Larry Markkinen and Zach Levine. Zach Levine is arguably one of the most athletic players in the league, even after his torn ACL. And he's, he said that he has made it a point to improve his known bad defense. He had, a, he had a very good breakout offensive season. I think he even got a couple of votes on most improved, even though he wasn't a finalist. But his defense really drags it down. And then Lowry Markkinen, he was hurt for a lot of last year. And it's, it's just kind of questionable to see how he's going to hop back in because he's not the greatest defender. He, he does rebound well, he shoots well, and he can score fairly well. But it's just a little bit of concern around his health. Taller players have longer recovery periods, so I, that's why I put him at 23rd. In the 22nd spot, I have the Orlando Magic. And for their duo, I have Nikola Vucevic, who recently just signed a long-term deal to stay in Orlando, and Aaron Gordon. Uh, the reason I have them at 22nd is because of their fit. Uh, obviously, they were a good enough duo to help their team make the playoffs and even win a game against the eventual champion Toronto Raptors. But there's always been questions of Aaron Gordon's playing out of position, and I think last year they kind of tried to move him a little bit to the three because he is he is an undersized power forward considering his frame and he's not the defensive mastermind that Draymond Green is but he has been working on his outside game but it's just not there yet so I had to put him there at 22nd because he is forced to play a little more inside and that's where Vucevic really thrives as he was a 20 and 12 guy this past season so Vucevic needs the paint. I mean, he has he can extend it a little bit, but Aaron Gordon really just needs to develop more of an outside game and really make the full switch to the three before I consider these guys a higher duo. At the 21st spot, we have kind of a similar situation in Detroit with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. Uh, they're both bigs. Drummond has been seen working on his game, 
uh, trying to develop a three-point shot, but right now he is an out-of-date center who likes to bang down low, get a lot of rebounds, usually up towards the top of the leaderboards in terms of personal rebounding. And it's just not a great mesh to have your two best players be your four and your five. Uh, Blake Griffin used to be just a dunker, and he's developed better outside game, um, become more of an all-around player. It's just still the fact that that's your four and that's your five. It's really just – it's not a good mesh to it. And the, Blake could end up being traded sometime during this season. I've seen a couple rumors about it, so there's not that much talk about it. But they could be traded. So, well, just Blake could be traded. I haven't seen anything about Drummond. So we'll say just Blake. But either way, it's going to keep him down at the 21st spot. In the 20th slot, we have the Phoenix Suns. And the Phoenix Suns dynamic duo is their very, very young core of Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Ayton is... He's shown that he can be a very good player. He just has some rough spots. And with the... He, I think he merited the first round pick, but he also wasn't necessarily a rookie of the year type. Even if Luka Doncic and Trey Young didn't exist, I don't know if he's a guy that you look like you look at and say, oh, he obviously would have won rookie of the year just because his rookie year wasn't that fantastic. And on the other side with Devin Booker, he he's not a he's not really a good defender. He he's a great scorer, but he's only ever scored in games that don't matter because he's played on Phoenix his whole career and they haven't played any meaningful games. So I want to see how that will develop. Uh, I don't expect the Suns to be good this year. I think they'll be better than they were, but the the West is also better, so I don't know, but. I do like the potential of both of the guys. I don't know if it's going to translate to wins for the team anytime soon, but it is a good duo that they have. At the 19th spot, we have the Sacramento Kings. I have here De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald. De'Aaron Fox doesn't quite have the outside game yet, but he's only a third-year player now. So you can't expect too much out of him. On that, it has gotten better as he has gone along, and that's what you need to see. And then I have Buddy Heald, who is kind of a late bloomer, similar to a Jimmy Butler, and that's partially because he spent four years in college, and that's not something that you see very often out of star worthy players, which I'm not saying Buddy Heald is a star by any means, but he is certainly on a positive trajectory. It doesn't look like he's hit his peak by any means, he's just a little older. Um, you could argue that Marvin Bagley deserves the, the duo slot instead of Buddy Heald, but Marvin Bagley didn't start last year. I'm assuming he will this year with Willie Cauley-Stein having moved on to the Warriors, but it's not set in stone, and there's just, he had a little bit of health issues, so there's... He, he did show a lot of promise, but there's just a couple questions that just made me slot Buddy in there at the 19th, at the duo with Fox for the 19th spot. And at 18th, we have the Atlanta Hawks. 
with their duo being Trey Young and John Collins, two very good young ascending players. Trey Young set the league on fire in his second half of the season. He went on a tear of of games where I, I don't know the exact numbers, but it was something like 35 and 8 plus assists in like five straight games or some, something ridiculous for a rookie. He he brought that range that he had in college, and I think he, he played a lot better than a lot of people were expecting him to. A lot of people thought he was going to be a bust, and I, I didn't think he, he would be a bust, but he definitely surprised me. I didn't think he would play that well that, that early on. Now, not very good defensive player. He's a little undersized. And then John Collins is just a freakishly athletic big man who takes care of business down in the paint and can stretch the floor a little. So given that they are young, uh, that, that holds them down to the 18th a little bit, but they, are, they both show a lot of potential, so that puts them at 18. And here's, here's where probably going to get a little bit of criticism on this, but I'm, I'm putting the Nets at 17th. Now, don't get me wrong. If Kevin Durant's not hurt, they're a top-five team. But like I said, this is only for the 2019-2020 season. So this is where you could look at me and say, you think Kyrie by himself is better than all of these other teams? Yeah, I do. I, I do. I think that just Kyrie is better than everyone else that I have previously mentioned. And when KD gets back, I think they're a top five duo. Um, depending on how the league shakes up, they, they could be top three. Um, if... LeBron and AD for some reason aren't together. If there's a tragic injury to you know anyone that is clearly in the top three, then I think they move into the top three. But otherwise, they're definitely definitely top five when KD returns. But for the 2019-2020 season, Brooklyn only going to get the 17th spot from me. With the 16th spot, we have the Indiana Pacers. And I wanted to put these guys higher. I also wanted to put them lower. But I think the 16th spot is fair, given that Victor Oladipo is half of the duo of Victor Oladipo and Malcolm Brogdon. And Victor Oladipo will be coming off of a quad rupture, which granted is not the worst injury that a basketball player can suffer, but it's definitely not one of the better ones you want. And he will miss until December, maybe January. So that, that automatically counts against him because he's going to be missing a good portion of the year. But... Malcolm Brogdon is a great defender. He's long. He's decently athletic. He can shoot. He had the 50-40-90 split, or almost. Um, and he, he also is capable of handling the ball and making good decisions, which should allow Depot to kind of rehabilitate while also playing. He won't have to carry as much of a load, so there won't be as much stress on his body. And then that should also open up a little bit of freedom for Oladipo as well because so far in his career in Orlando, he didn't really have a lot going on for him, so he was always shouldering the load. Then in OKC, he had to take a backseat to Russ, who, if you know how I feel about Russ, I think he just makes everyone around him worse. Um, So once he got to Indiana, he was the guy, uh, he showed that in his first year and then was continuing to show that until his injury. But 
I, I do think that this duo will be very good when they are healthy, maybe top 10. Um, like I said, it'll d- d- to depend on how the rest of the league shakes out, but for now they're going to be at the 16th spot. And this is getting a little long, guys. I know I'm going to try to keep it under 30 minutes, so I'm going to keep some of these next few a little shorter. The 15th spot, we have Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. I think this is a make-or-break year for Andrew Wiggins. He has shown glimpses of a guy that could be the next Kobe Bryant, but he's also gone 0 for 12 in games. Looked like he just didn't care. So that's holding them back. And then Carl Anthony Towns is a little soft, but a very, very great offensive player and rebounder. He, he just, he's soft, um, and there's no other way around that. So they're at the 15th spot. At the 14th slot, we have the Miami Heat with Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. Uh, I, the reason they're at 14th and not higher is because I think that their trajectories are a little off. Jimmy's a little on the older side, and Bam's not quite hit uh, a breakout yet, but I think he's about to be. Um, they both are great defenders. Bam's a good rim running big, and they're both very high energy guys. If, you, if you've kept up with the NBA at all, seen any Jimmy Butler stories, you know he is one intense guy, and I think that's going to mesh very well with Bam. Uh, neither one of them really have outside games, but they they play in Miami, and that's been the mo for Miami the past few years. They're just hard gritty players, and I think I think they should do nicely in Miami. At the 13th spot, we have the San Antonio Spurs of Marcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan, two guys who I think are very solid all-star bordering players that are just in the wrong time era. Neither one of them really has a three-point game, but they're both deadly at mid-range, especially Aldridge for being a power forward. But I think they're st- still a solid duo that if you have the two of them on your team, you should make the playoffs, even in the stacked West. And I just I just couldn't put them any lower than this, but this was the highest that I could put them there. I, I couldn't see anywhere else to put them. So they will be the 13th spot. At the 12th slot, we have the Toronto Raptors with Pascal Siakam and... Kyle Lowry. Now Siakam coming off the most improved player of the year award. It's it's his team of the future now. I still think Lowry is the best overall player, which is controversial, but it is Siakam's team going forward. And Lowry finally proved himself of all the questions about his playoffs performances in the past. And he, he played really well in the playoffs. He gave them really big games when they needed it most. Um, But he is getting a little older. There is the possibility he could be traded. I don't think he will, but I've seen that. Um, So, yeah, they're going to come in at 12th, just kind of the similar situation with Miami where their their trajectories are a little off because Lowry's older and Siakam's younger, but I I think they still have another good year in the two of them together. Here at the 11th spot, I have the Dallas Mavericks. And they have two very unique foreign players. You have Porzingis, who is 7'3", can stroke it, great defender, great rebounder, but he's coming off of a torn ACL. Otherwise, this they would be much higher. And then you have Luka Doncic, who just lit the NBA world on fire 
I know I already used that term, but he did. Um, he dominated the rookie of the year race for much of the season, and then even as Trey Young was lighting it up towards the end of the season, you, it was just hard to justify not voting for Luca. He's just he, he's a difference maker out there, and I think that the two of them. I think they should easily win at least a championship in their careers. But it's it's all about how they get built around, and I think that the two of them complement each other very well. It's just a lot is hanging on Porzingis' health. At the 10th spot, we have the Boston Celtics. And with their new duo of Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum, I think that it'll work out a little bit better than... I guess Kyrie, well, it was supposed to be Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, but Gordon Hayward has been hurt his entire career minus two minutes with the Celtics. So Jason Tatum is coming off of a down year, so I I look for him to bounce back. And then Kemba Walker is a short guard in a Brad Stevens system, which is what he, he apparently excels at given Isaiah Thomas and not so much Kyrie Irving, but I think that Kemba's personality and willingness to give up the ball and the fact that he's never been able to really do that in Charlotte, and I think it, he will actually welcome that change. Uh, that's why I have them in the top ten. But I just don't I, – I, I can't see them being any higher than that. At the ninth spot, we have the Golden State Warriors, the Splash Bros., Clay Thompson being out until probably January at least really hurts them. If Clay's healthy, then obviously he and Steph are a top three, top three duo. And a lot of this, if you guys have noticed, is about how well they fit and complement each other. I think that they are the two greatest three-point shooters in the history of the NBA. I think Steph is the greatest three-point shooter overall and the greatest three-point shooter off the dribble and I think Clay's the greatest catch and shoot three-point shooter of all time. And on top of that, Steph is not a good defender but he is a willing defender. He tries, he plays hard. He doesn't take take the play off just because he's on defense. And then he's also able to create for Clay, which is something that Clay lacks, but Clay is a good defender which is something that Curry lacks. So they pick up each other's weaknesses while also being the greatest shooting backcourt his backcourt players in history. Two greatest shooting players in history. That There's no other way around it. Now, I do have the Houston Rockets at eighth. I've seen some people put them at two, three, that, and that, that's ridiculous to me. That is idiotic. The only reason they are even this high for me is because they are two very talented players in Russell Westbrook and James Harden. And I do think that there's a way that this could kind of work, but it's more up to D'Antoni than it is up to Russ and Harden. For this to work, in my eyes, their minutes have to be staggered and they have to share the floor as little as possible. With Which, with them both being great players, you're going to want them out there as much as possible, but I think... There should be one in the game at all times. And since they are two ball-dominant players, I don't think them being on the same floor works very well. And I think Houston is a worse 
duo now than they were with Chris Paul because Chris Paul is a better defender. Chris Paul is a better shooter. Yes, he is aging, so this is a better better duo for the long term, but in, just for the 2019-2020 season, I do not think that this made them any better unless they stagger and kind of allow the offense to have two different two different offensive schemes because when it's just Russ in, you can't necessarily have him iso ball waiting for a step back three because he can't shoot. He just shot 29% from three. He's never been a good three-point shooter. Now he's a bad, bad three-point shooter. So I don't see it working well when they're on the floor because in order to get the most out of Russ, you need him to have the ball. In order to get the most out of Harden, you need him to have the ball. So someone's got to give. And if it's Russ giving, he basically turns into a slasher because he can't spot up. And if it's Harden, I think it works a little bit better if he's off ball because he can at least catch and shoot. So it's going to be interesting. There's just a, there's too many questions on here for me to put them any higher. At the seventh spot, we have the Utah Jazz. I know a lot of people probably think there's no way that they are better than Houston, but I do. Um, and for them, I, I know I could have had Gobert in there as part of the duo, but I chose the backcourt of Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. And a lot of that is because they are a backcourt and their games match up better than I think Donovan Mitchell and Gobert or even Connolly and Gobert. I say that because they are both two very, very good defensive guards. And given what Donovan Mitchell has had to do in his first two years in Utah, Mike Conley is going to take a great deal of pressure off of him, which I think will increase his effectiveness and vice versa for Mike Connolly. Mike Connolly has been alone in Memphis in terms of ball handling. I know he's had I know he's had Mark Saul still the past couple of years, but Mark Saul doesn't bring the ball up. Mark Saul doesn't start the offense. Mark Saul makes good passes from the post and posts up and maybe hits an outside shot on occasion, but he doesn't play make. So that's why they're at my seventh spot. Uh, this this is where it started getting a little harder for me, but at the sixth spot, I have Embiid and Simmons for Philadelphia. Um, I think Joel Embiid is the best big man in the game. I think he's better than Anthony Davis. I think he's better than Cat. I think he's better than Jokic. But his health is a major concern, and because of his health being a concern, he is not in the shape that he needs to be, so there's a couple of question marks. And then I think Ben Simmons is one of the greatest playmaking point guards, especially considering he has no shot. He playmakes when there's no one even guarding him, which is hard to do because that means someone's being double teamed and he still finds a way to do it. But he just doesn't have a shot. He does not have an outside shot. He hasn't even made a three in his career. There's been videos out there of him working on it, but those have been out for a while. I hope he is working on it. I hope he gets the confidence to shoot. I think it's more of a confidence thing than anything else, but he needs to get over that and just at least start shooting them on a somewhat regular basis. Take one or two shots, just jump shots, just pull up jump shots, take one or two a game, make them start respecting it. 
it doesn't have to go in all the time. But given their talent, even with all these question marks, I, I had to put them at six just because of the question marks. I easily think they are probably probably the third most talented on this list, but there's just too many question marks, so they got to go to sixth. And now we enter the top five. At the fifth spot, I have the Denver Nuggets, which I probably could have put them higher. I could have put them lower. So I, I thought the fifth spot was an okay landing spot for them. With Nikola Jokic being a lot of people consider him the best center, I think Embiid is. Jokic is the best. Jokic is the best passing center for sure. He can score. He's not the best defender. He can rebound, but he he makes their team a lot better. And then Jamal Murray, he's a little undersized, so the defense isn't all there. But he, he, he's a little inconsistent as well, which is why they weren't higher. But he can score. He is a, is a closer type of player. Um, he can get you in multiple ways from deep or driving, very good at finishing under the rim. So that's why they're at fifth, just because the inconsistencies from Murray mostly. Otherwise, they could be higher. But I, I just couldn't see it with Murray not quite proving that he he's not an all-star caliber player, for one. To be in the top four, really, both of your players need to be all-star caliber. I know there are teams on here, such as the Sixers, who have two all-star caliber players but are behind the Nuggets, but that's just because of all the questions. Really, there's no questions with Jokic. His defense isn't great, but it doesn't need to be. Murray has questionable defense and a questionable, consistent offensive game, so that's why they're at fifth and not higher. At the fourth spot, we have the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton. They are both great two-way players. Giannis was just up for a Defensive Player of the Year award, and Chris Middleton's a lockdown perimeter guy. Giannis is mostly in the paint, but he can also switch out to the perimeter. They, they're both long. Middleton can shoot and kind of create his shot more than Giannis can, and Giannis can just body anyone inside and I think is still ascending for years and years and years to come. But, again, just for this season, um, Middleton kind of held them back in my eyes on this one. Uh, he, I know he made an all-star game, so he's, he's a fringe all-star. He's all-star caliber player, but that doesn't mean he's going to make it every year. He's not a lock. Giannis is a lock for an all-star game any season that he's healthy. And he, he should be in the MVP conversation almost every single year that he's in the league until he starts to decline, which I can't imagine being anytime soon because he's still very, very young. All right, now we make it into the top three. And at the third spot, I have the Portland Trailblazers with the backcourt of Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Now, I think that when, when healthy, I think this is the second-best backcourt in the league. And I think since they are the only ones healthy, they are the best backcourt currently. They are better than Stephen Clay because... Steph and Clay aren't going to play together all season. They're only going to play together half the season. And Clay's going 
it's an ACL. He his game isn't very very dependent on athleticism, but his defense could be. And I think CJ and Dame, while they aren't the best defenders, they they both help each other out incredibly well. For example, the game seven against Denver. Damian Lillard had a terrible shooting game, but he he was he he is high enough basketball IQ to know to defer to CJ and CJ stepped up and carried him to the win and they just play well off of each other and they have the chemistry which like I said it's not about in the criteria for this it's not about what you've done but how well you play together since they've played together for quite a while now, they play very well together. So they're at the third spot for me. And then obviously we have the two L.A. teams in the top two. And at the second spot I have the Lakers. And that is because mostly that they have two top five players in the league. Um, I think they might be fourth and fifth. I don't think LeBron's the best anymore. I've never considered Anthony Davis the best. I think Kawhi and Giannis are the two best healthy players. Um, KD's not healthy, so it's hard to put him in there. But if he were, I think he would also be there, regardless of LeBron's health, regardless of Anthony Davis's health. And health is a big big part of why they're two and not one. Um, LeBron is aging. I know you guys don't like to admit that, but he is getting older, and when players get older, their body deteriorates a little bit, and they aren't as good. He doesn't play defense anymore at all. Like, doesn't even try to. But that's how he preserves his body at this stage. And then Anthony Davis has never really had a significant injury, but he has always missed a lot of games with a tweaked ankle here, a sprained finger there. It's just always something. So that's why they're at two and not one. I don't need to explain to you how great both of these guys are and how well it should work with them playing together, especially with Anthony Davis being able to play anywhere, down low, outside. The pick and roll should be great. It gives LeBron someone... He can play make four. Anthony Davis doesn't need the ball in his hands a lot. So it, it sh- it's, a, it's a good match. It's just lack of defense on LeBron's end, qu- aging on LeBron's end, injury questions. More on Anthony Davis' end. I'm not too concerned with LeBron's groin, but it is something to monitor. So that, that's why they're two and the Clippers are one. In this league, the best teams, the best players, are two-way wings. And the Clippers have the two best two-way wings. They are defensive nightmares. Kawhi's a two-time defensive player of the year. Paul George is a defensive player of the year. Kawhi's a two-time finals MVP. And I know I said what you've done in the past doesn't matter, but that that's not things that they've accomplished together. That's just personal goals, personal 
accolades that they have acquired. And they've both been an MVP voting in recent years, Paul George just last year. And their games should mesh very well. Uh, The... If there's a weak spot, they don't really play make that well, but Patrick Beverly is very capable and should make up for that. I know he's not part of the duo, but that duo doesn't really need to worry about that. They're going to be a nightmare defensively, and then offensively, they will also be a nightmare. That I just... It, it really wasn't close for me between the two LA teams. I just think the Clippers are head and shoulders above the Lakers in terms of these two duos. If, if It's not taking anything away from AD and LeBron either. It's just that's how great I think that these two are. They're the same age. They're very similar play styles. It's, it's just going to be trouble for the league. But that's going to conclude my list. No, a lot of you probably don't agree with me, but I mean, this is my list. This is how I saw it out. I, in order to make this list, I actually went through and looked at every single team's roster, determined who was the best two players on each team and whose games matched well together from those teams. And then I created a D tier, a C tier, a B tier, an A tier, and an S tier, put, out, put all of them into a tier, and then ranked them in the tiers. So, for example, in the D tier, I had Charlotte, New York, Memphis, and Cleveland, and then I just went through Charlotte 30th, Knicks 29th, Cleveland 28th, Memphis 27th, and then moved on to the C tier and ranked from there. Um, it was the easiest way that I could think to do it. And I know this episode's like 15 minutes longer than I've been trying to keep these. But there was no way that I could make a list compromising, composed of 30 teams without extending it. Because, I I mean, I could have just read off the list to you, but then I'm not explaining anything. And I, I felt the need to explain something, especially something that's not concrete like this is all opinion really i mean i think that my i think that my top 10 is pretty hard to argue especially if you're going off of the the criteria like i said brooklyn would obviously be in here but katie's not even playing this year and it's only for the 2019-2020 season so it is what it is i hope you guys enjoyed um, I'm not going to record another solo one until after I record Just Listen with Tristan, and that'll probably get about four episodes. I'll, I'll record them all at once, and I'll release them all at once. So I'm not going to drag it out. Uh, some of the topics we're going to talk about, we're going to preview the NFL season. Uh, that's something I've been wanting to do, but... I mean, I'll be honest, the NBA is my most knowledgeable sport, so it's the easiest for me to talk about by myself. But the NFL, I kind of want to have a little bit of back and forth. And for those of you who don't know, Tristan is the editor at the Champagne Room, which 
covers Illinois sports. So we're going to preview Illinois football and basketball. And then we're going to talk about emotions in baseball and kind of, you know, regarding bat flips and things like that. And then we're also going to take a look at what LeBron's most important game is. Um, I have my answer. I don't know Tristan's answer. I don't want to know Tristan's answer until we start the recording. But that's going to be it. Uh, hopefully, hopefully those next episodes are up in a week or two. And uh, as always, thank you guys so much for listening. Peace.